Good, good Lord, once again we pray that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and that it would be a light unto our path and that by it we would see Jesus and that we would be changed by him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So earlier this year, our family moved into a new house and in the backyard was a large garden. And while I say it was a large garden, there was a lot of things about it that it wasn't doing what a garden's supposed to do. So there are certain things that a good garden needs in order to thrive. A good garden needs good soil. It needs soil that's softer than a rock. It needs soil that has been tilled. It needs soil that has nutrients where seeds can go in and take root. A good garden also needs healthy plants. It needs these seeds that have taken root, seeds that have been tended to and cared for and watered. They're free of weeds. They're given everything that they need to grow. And a good garden also, finally, it needs, it needs protection. It needs a way to keep out predators. It needs a way to protect the plants that are growing from disease and other destructive forces that are at bay. And looking out, as, as we did, at, at this garden, you could tell that all of these things at one time were in place. But now as we looked out on the garden, you could see that the, the ground, it, was, it had hardened over time. Uh, it had not been tilled. There were no new nutrients in it. You looked at the plants, and they were withering. They were dying. There were weeds everywhere. There, were, there was nothing in there that was giving us anything to enjoy. And then you looked at the fence. There was a fence surrounding it, but the, the gate was broken. It was on its side. The fence was uh, crumpled at different places and it was too low so that all the deer that we have in our backyard can just jump over it. And so for, for our garden, in order to flourish once again, it, it needed a lot of work. But the garden is not going to make those things happen on its own. What, what our garden needs in order for it to come alive, in order for it to flourish, in order for it to thrive, is it needs someone to come in and bring the type of care that is needed. It needs someone to come in and attend to what is broken. It needs someone to come in and bring order. It needs someone to come in and provide care and create these protective barriers. It needs someone to come in and cultivate life to help move this towards a place of flourishing and thriving. And as we, as we go through our text and talk about this idea of Jesus as king, I want you to keep that picture in the background because it gives us, it gives us a shadowy picture of what God is doing in our lives and in our world. Because God, what he is doing is he is in the business of taking what is broken and bringing beauty and bringing healing and bringing life. And it all has to do with this gift of Jesus as our King. And so hear these words from Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, and shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, and he has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. 
On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Three things I want us to consider this morning. I want us to consider the need for a king, consider the promise of a king, and then consider the gift of a king. So first, the need for a king. It's interesting if when you go back to the beginning of the scripture and the story that God is unfolding is that the, the Bible starts off with a story of a garden. It's a place where life is ordered, where life is good, where it is beautiful, where it's flourishing. And God establishes humanity, God's highest creation, to serve as his representatives of the world in which he has made. To serve his purposes, to be his representatives, to expand this good order in order to bring flourishing and thriving goodness and beauty throughout the world. Think about all the way back, Genesis 2.28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Their task in exercising dominion was to spread God's good and gracious and wise and just rule throughout the world. But along the way, things went terribly wrong. And while there is much beauty that still permeates our world, there is so much brokenness that is there. Think about this idea of a garden. And there are different types of gardens in our world. Let's start with the biggest kind of garden, the, the global garden. When, when you turn on the news and you see the, the state of the garden that is our world, what kind of brokenness do you notice? What kind of brokenness do you see? What do you see as out of order? What do you see as not flourishing? What do you see as turned upside down? Bring it in a little bit closer. When you, when you look at our country specifically, our small sliver of this world, what's the status of that garden? Where do you things, see things not of the way they should be? Where do you see stuckness? Where do you see harshness? Where do you see injustice? Where do you see poverty? Pull it back. The garden of our community, the, the Athens, greater Athens area that we are all a part of. You go to the hospitals, you go to the homeless shelters, the businesses, the people you know. What, what, what brokenness permeates this local garden that we're all a part of? Shrink it down to this, this church. There are many ways in which 
2019 has been a difficult season for us. What are the ways in which we look at this garden that is Resurrection Presbyterian Church and we see need and we see longing and we see groaning and aching for more? Shrink it down into the garden of your family, your spouse, or even maybe just your close friends. Where, where do you see these relationships pulling apart and, and not thriving and not flourishing? Where do you see them breaking down? And then think about the, the smallest garden, the garden of your own heart. That in itself is this place that God's rule is meant to be exercised and His grace and wholeness and healing. But when we dig below the surface of our lives, so often that's not the case. Where, where do you see and experience brokenness in your own heart? in your own life? Where do you see that disorder? Where do you experience that struggle? Go to our text this morning. Think about what we see just in these few words before us. There are enemies that are out to get them. There are oppressors that are taking advantage of them. There is much evil to be afraid of. They're not in a state of peace. There is mourning. There is great grief at real loss in their midst. There is sickness. God talks about the lame, those who are handicapped, those who do not have the abilities that they so long for and desire. There's social alienation. God talks about the outcasts. Those are on the fringes of society, and society has looked at them and said, you have no place here. And there is shame. People are the laughing stock of the nations. There's distance from God. They're spread out spiritually. Even though they are physically in the city of God, this capital city of Jerusalem, they, they feel light years away from the God who made them and who rescued them. They're bankrupt. Their fortunes are gone. The great wealth they had, they're, they're, they look at, at their hands and it's just, it's just empty. And then there are judgments against them. Because in all their suffering, they also have perpetuated suffering in the lives of others so that it's a strange cycle of victim and perpetrator and seems to never end. And their situation, like ours, like all of our gardens, whether they are small or whether they are large, they, they cry out for a king to come. They cry out for this person with this power that can make all of this right again. Which brings us to our second point, the promise of a king. They're not just left in this state of desolation and the state of need, but God says through the prophet Zephaniah, he says, I'm going to give you something, not just to relieve you, but I'm going to give you something to sing about. I'm going to give you something to shout for joy about to rejoice, to make your heart burst with amazement. I'm going to do something so out of this world that your heart won't be able to contain it. I'm going to clear away all your enemies. I'm going to set you free from all your oppressors. I'll make it so that you no longer need to be afraid of evil. I'm going to gather you in. I'm going to heal you. I'll take away any judgment against you. I'll take away your shame. I'm going to turn your mourning into celebration. I'm going to restore your fortunes. And notice who's doing all this. 
It's, it's not the garden fixing itself. It's not us making all of our brokenness somehow go away. It's God coming in and saying, I'm the only one who can make this right again. And that is what I'm going to do. Verse 15, it's the king of Israel. The king who is no other than the Lord himself. Verse 17, the Lord your God in your midst is in your midst a mighty one who will save. But it's not just this power that is distant from you acting on your behalf, but there is a closeness that this king has towards you. Randy mentioned the crown and tracking on that. There are many different rules around Queen Elizabeth that if you are invited to a party of hers, there are certain rules that you need to follow. Rules such as be early. Use the proper greetings, such as, yes, your majesty. Don't speak unless spoken to. Big no-no. Do not touch her majesty. So we all remember the international incident where First Lady Michelle Obama had the audacity to put her arm around the queen. And the world has never been the same since. (laughs) Only shake her hand if she offers it. Never turn your back on Her Majesty, do not try to take selfies. In conversation, small talk should be as far as you go. And I love this one. Do not get carried away. You may be nervous, but alcohol is not your friend. <laughs> what these rules communicate is this person is really special and really powerful and really important, and you are not. So be careful. <laughs> how you interact with them, because there's a sense in which you don't belong here. But listen to how God responds when you show up at his party. Verse 17, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Imagine you showing up at the palace and the queen just starting to sing because she is so delighted that you showed up, that she sees you and she locks eyes with you and she is just so delighted that she bursts into singing. It's, it's a silly picture and it's extravagant and, and this is silly and this is extravagant. How many of you, when you think about God's disposition towards you, when you come to his mind, how often do you think, when, I, when God thinks about me, I think he's singing. <laughs> Oftentimes, I think often we, we think when God thinks about us, he, he, he gets this kind of grimace on his face. <laughs> he knows what we've done. He knows what we think about. It's almost this like he's putting up with us. But what we see here is this different picture of a king who is coming to us, out of love, to make what is broken so much better. These words were given as a promise long ago, a promise of a future king. A number of times in this passage, it's, it's repeated on that day, on that day, on that day. Because what's, what God is saying to them is this, this is a future day when I will do something extravagant which makes our passage this morning the one that John Drake read all the more lively because that's where they're beginning to discover a king has been born. Where is the one who has been born king of Israel? We've come to worship him. The one that we have waited for 
for so long is finally here. Which brings us to our final point. That's the gift of a king. In the story, the Lord of the Rings, there is this capital city called Gondor where a steward has been ruling over this city because there is no true king in the line of the kings to rule in their place. And so they have been waiting and they have been anticipating for the day when this true king will arrive. And and there's an old saying that has been passed down amongst the people. And it says, "The the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. And so shall the rightful king be known. Meaning the the way one day we're going to discover the rightful king who can sit on the throne of Gondor and rule over us is that he will somehow have healing in his hands. He will somehow be able to take what is broken and what is sick here and be able to make it better. There were many prophecies that were given to God's people over the years of the promise of what this coming king would do. And when Jesus shows up, One of his first acts is going to this synagogue as an adult, and he takes the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, one of these, these prophecies that has been passed down, and he reads it before them. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because he has anointed me. To do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He sent me to give recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he takes that scroll with these prophecies, he rolls them up, he sits down and he says, today that is fulfilled in your midst. And as we see Jesus in the Gospels, we see him having power over nature. We see him having power over evil. Power over sickness, power over death, power over even our own guilt and our own shame and gathering people in. We see in Jesus that the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. And this is how the rightful king is now finally made known. Jesus has arrived putting things back in place, healing. But then things take this crazy turn and all of a sudden, the people see their long-anticipated king, the one who is supposed to fix everything. All of a sudden, he is the one hanging on a cross like a criminal. He is just another victim to the system. He is just another cog in the wheel that, that gets crushed by the powerful forces of human empires. And as they see him up there, they mock him. Listen to what they say. He saved others. He healed others, but he he can't save himself. So is this the king of Israel? Is this the one we've been waiting for? Is this the one who can right all the wrongs, who can make our world new again? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. What they didn't realize is that in order for in order for us to be saved, in order for us to be rescued, in order for us to be freed from our most powerful oppressors and to find healing in the deepest ways, that Jesus staying on the cross is exactly what he needed to do. He chooses not to save himself in order that he might save us. 
And what we see now as our lives unfold is as the, the pouring out of God's spirit into our lives is God is making things new. But we also anticipate together this future date where Jesus, we read in Revelation where he says, I behold, I am making all things new. That is the future hope that we cling to. We see this king coming right now with healing in his hands. And even he comes through the life of his people as well. And there's so much more that we are going to say about this in the spring in one of our sermon series. But as we think about Christmas, as we think about this gift of Jesus, we think about God giving us this rightful king with healing in his hands to make us new, who has come and the king who is coming again. Let's pray together. Our good Lord, we, we thank you that when we could not save ourselves, when we could not fix ourselves, when we could not heal ourselves, that you came with power. You came with humility. You came in weakness in your son. And through him we have life. Through him we have joy. Through him we have freedom. You have begun a powerful work that will one day be culminated in what you call a new creation, new heavens and new earth where your glory will cover the water, cover the, the earth as the water covers the seas, you say. We thank you for this gift. Would you open up our eyes to see it, to love him, and to hope in him now and forever. In his name we pray. Amen.